Hello everybody and welcome to Balls and Whistles, a Highland news and media podcast looking at what's been going on in the world of sport. Today you're joining us for a very special episode. My name is Andrew Henderson and I'm on my own this time again because sports editor Will Clark is away on annual leave. So I've taken the opportunity to do something a little bit different. Rather than looking through the kind of things we've been writing about in this week's newspapers or talking about previewing this weekend's matches or anything like that, I thought it was a good opportunity to give a little bit of attention to the Rainbow Laces campaign. It's still topical because it's actually started just a couple of days ago and will be running over the next couple of weeks. You might start seeing more things on TV coverage of football matches in particular. If you're going to matches, you might see some things happening at the grounds themselves. And like I say, with Will being off, I thought it was a good opportunity for Balls and Whistles to put a bit of a spotlight on it while we can as well. We're going to be doing a couple of things in this episode then, and the first of those is a little bit of background really on the reasons that a campaign like Rainbow Laces promoting LGBTQ plus inclusion in sport is important. I could just talk for the next five, ten minutes about the various different issues that people face and why we need campaigns for inclusion in general, whether that's the LGBTQ plus community or wider afield with stuff like racism or sexism, that sort of thing. But I thought it would be a bit more effective, a bit more impactful if I could enlist the help of someone to do this. So I have been joined by Siri Topping, who works for Leap Sports Scotland, which is Scotland's LGBTQ plus in sport charity. And she's also involved with Football versus Homophobia. Now that's a campaign as you might be able to gather from the name specifically looking at homophobia in football, trying to promote inclusion and education for clubs and supporters to make sure that doesn't happen. Why am I even talking about this? I could just pass it over to Siri to describe what it is those two things do. We're going to pick up the conversation just as she's doing exactly that and we're going to go on to talk about some of the social media responses we often see when football clubs or sports communities post online about LGBTQ plus inclusion. Here's what Siri had to say, like I say, first off, about the work that Leap Sports and Football versus Homophobia does. So Football versus Homophobia exists to challenge discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity and gender expression at all levels in football. So as an international initiative, um, FVH engages in campaigning, education, advice and guidance, research, policy consultation and capacity building. We at Leap Sports Scotland, which is Scotland's LGBTIQ plus sports charity, we run Football versus Homophobia Scotland, um, which exists independently but has, has quite close relationships with the, the overall international football versus homophobia um, campaigns and movements. At FVH Scotland, we work to remove the barriers which prevent lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and intersex people from accessing, participating, enjoying and excelling across Scottish football. Um, so that's really what we're here to do. Um, and yeah, it's, it's kind of a pleasure to be involved in it as well. It can get a little confusing, I think, for people not involved in this to see things like football versus homophobia and leap sports, but one's run by the other. And then there's all these different international things, you know, Basically, the overarching thing is we're all working for LGBTQ plus equality or inclusion in sport. That, that's exactly. basically what it comes down to, right? Yeah, exactly. There's no competitors in this field. It's all just um, 
yeah exactly one big movement and you know people doing what they can in order to to improve things i suppose absolutely absolutely but unfortunately sometimes when we see improvements getting made or a bit of progress getting made there's a bit of social media backlash which i'm sure you're just as familiar with as i am sorry so i thought it was quite important for us to go through some of the things that we hear and maybe debunk a myth or two you know that sort of thing and, and just see why some of the common reactions don't always apply so I'm not gonna pull any punches here so I'm gonna throw you right in at the deep end the mm-hmm. first one I've got on my notes here is who cares so who actually does care about progress and when we see things like Josh Cavallo coming out for example that is yeah it's something that we see all the time as soon as any of these issues are discussed it's it's this who cares things. And I actually think that sometimes people do that in order to kind of show how progressive they are in a way. Um, but they actually just undermine everything while they're doing it. So, um, but, you know, in the long run, they are absolutely right. It's like, it shouldn't matter who cares, whatever. Um, but we're not there yet. Um, and whenever people take that stance, it stops us from discussing the problems and the barriers that exist for lesbian, gay, bisexual people in football. And while we still have you know, stereotypes around gay and bisexual men being too effeminate to play football or women's players being lesbians, and when we still use gay as an insult or to convey weakness on the pitch, and whilst young people still don't see themselves being represented at the, the top levels of the professional game and uh, while players and coaches continue to hide their identities and while we get reports of homophobic and biphobic abuse, um, we can't actually say that sexual orientation doesn't matter in football and we can't take that who cares approach because then we can't tackle the issues um, in the first place. So. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's one of those super frustrating reactions that people have. And I think sometimes they think they're being helpful, but they're really just not. That's why I said, you know, we're jumping right in at the deep end with this one, because sometimes, like you say, it seems to be genuinely well-intentioned. But yeah. my thing with it is always when I see people saying, who cares, commenting on a post. Well, if you genuinely didn't care, you wouldn't be taking the time to write that and respond, <laughs> surely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's this thing that people have and they're so they've got this really strong opinion that, you know, politics should be kept out of football. And you're just like, but how? And I just I just don't I don't see why like someone's sex orientation is political in, in a way as well. It's just, you know, there's there's so many other factors going on that, you know, we need to get to the bottom of and we can't get there whenever people are taking that kind of approach to it um, it's really frustrating yeah we've touched on another one there that I also had written down focus on football stick to football which mm-hmm. is, is the same sort of thing really isn't it if we could just stick to football that would be great yeah yeah um for sure stick to football but like football is a very important part of society and to say that it just exists within a bubble is pretty, you know, to be strong on it, ignorant. Because, you know, for a lot of people, actually, football is a kind of a safe place to be discriminatory. Um, and, 
you know, we we hear racist reports, we hear homophobic reports, and actually what we're seeing is that football is quite far behind the rest of society in terms of its progress. So, you know, as much as we can focus on the football, actually we do need to focus on how football is a space that people use in order to, you know, demonstrate their discriminatory behaviour when they wouldn't do that walking down the street and they wouldn't do that going into their shops and they wouldn't do that in any other um, kind of aspect of their lives. But as soon as they get into the football stands on a, on a Saturday, they think, oh, it's okay to to use that kind of language and so on. So um, I think what we actually do need to do is focus on the football. We need to focus on the football as a tool for, um, you know, tackling discrimination Um and also, I, 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 you've seen this with, with Josh, who's come out recently as well, is that Josh wasn't able to focus on his football because he wasn't living his authentic life and struggled with mental health and the, the kind of stigma around being a gay man um, in a very masculine environment. So, you know... We're, we're seeing from a different perspective, actually, people can't focus on the football if they're not able to be their authentic selves in the game as well. I think Josh told a story, and I'm a little hazy on the details. I don't know if you'll be able to correct me on these or not, sorry. But he won, I think, something along the lines of the equivalent of the Young Player of the Year at last season's end-of-year awards. And he basically went home and cried. You know, he couldn't celebrate it. He couldn't be happy that he had played really well and had such a good season because he was so wrapped up in not being his authentic self, like you say. So Mm -hmm. it does have that impact. And I think it's sometimes easy for adults to forget that footballers are role models for children. Mm -hmm. Um, So if we see them promoting these sorts of inclusive messages, that's going to have an impact, not just for their own lives, for their own teammates, but also on the generations to come. So we can't just stick to football. You know, like you say, there's there's so much more to come into it than just what happens on the pitch for them and for everybody else as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, you know, whenever we think about the, the kind of statistics that we're looking at here in the UK, no out professional uh, gay or bisexual men in the, the top men's leagues. You know, that, that comes down to... to possible reasons why that is is that you know either there is no (laughs) there's actually no uh game bisexual men in in the top premier leagues in which case we've got a real issue because there's obviously a problem around how game bisexual men perceive their representation in the game so you can't see what you can't be for example um and then the second reason is that that people don't feel safe coming out, in which case we also have a problem. Um, so, so I think it just it works on, on, on both levels there is that something needs to be fixed. And the more we kind of try and avoid that conversation, the the just the more it's just gonna circle on uh, and keep perpetuating itself. Whereas now that we've got you know, at least in Australia, this this amazing role model, then people can start to see themselves being represented um, in the men's game. So, so I think that's a you know a really strong win for us this year. 
Absolutely. Uh, I was talking to a couple of people weeks ago. Like We're still clearly riding the high of that days afterwards. It's just really nice to see that sort of positivity around LGBT inclusion in sport. But you've touched on it there. You can't be what you can't see. We hear that so much, in particular, I think, with women's sport, women's football in particular. Um, it just seems to get dismissed when it comes to LGBTQ plus inclusion, which I don't really understand why. Because it's the same theory, it's the same concept, and one applies and one doesn't seem to some of the time. Yeah, yeah, and I honestly, I don't really know why that is. Um, I feel as if sometimes uh, football can be quite defensive, um, and football fans can be quite defensive and say, you know, um, a lot of the football clubs that I've gone to, to speak to and so on, you know, what you'll hear sometimes is like, oh, yeah, we've got a super inclusive club. Um, you know, anyone who comes here will feel welcome. And, yeah, there's no no issues with homophobia here. We're, we're, we're fine. And, yeah, they, they might actually not be homophobic. They might be quite inclusive once a player's there. But the clubs aren't prepared to, to do that first step of specifically trying to target LGBT people to to get involved in their, their their club so I feel as if you know whenever I ask well what's your representation like and they're like oh we don't have anyone and you're just like well okay so there is an issue as yeah. inclusive as you might be whenever someone does come along what do you need to do in order to do some of those like repair work to to put it simply um, that you know maybe people don't see themselves represented by role models. They had really bad experiences in PE. They never thought that football was a space for them, and they could never perceive that. Like, how are you challenging those perceptions of football um, being an unsafe place for LGBTIQ plus people? Um, and so I think that you know as much as clubs are prepared to uh, challenge quite obvious discrimination perhaps and you know be nice to people and be friendly and and so on I also think that we need to take this extra step in challenging the perceptions of barriers as well um, and and trying to you know show LGBTIQ plus people and I'm talking about all levels of football here grassroots professional everything that there is a space for them in, in sport and in football Absolutely. Well, I'll move on to the next one I had written down because I think it rolls into that quite nicely. What would you say to people who respond on social media or in any sort of shape or form with private lives should be private? I think, you know, we see footballers all the time with their wives and their kids and their, um, and this is talking about in the, the men's game, um, and their heterosexual lives on display and hello magazine and whatnot so that's their private life and I don't see them put similar comments like that beneath those posts and you know people in heterosexual relationships can just have these conversations so easily and subtly and nothing gets highlighted and you don't get that kind of crap posted um whereas you know you try and be subtle whenever you're in a same-sex relationship about i don't know 
going out for a meal with your girlfriend or boyfriend or a person um, and it just <laughs> you can't escape you can't escape the, the kind of who caresness or keep your private life private kind of uh, comments so it's it's challenging and I think people don't see the heteronormativity that's going on a lot of the time um, within that it's the double standard, isn't it? Which I think applies to the next one I was going to bring up as well, trying to say that people are attention-seeking by talking about their sexuality or gender identity. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you even start with that? Uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's a big thing because society has made it a big thing. You know, I think that, I, I don't know anyone who's LGBTIQ+, who would say, you know, I just I just love the thrill of coming out. It's just not <laughs> and and honestly, to do it for attention, just uh like the attention that you get is so negative so much of the time. So why would anyone do that? It's so frustrating. Um but yeah, but at the same time, like you know, people who are in the positions like Josh was in, um you know, in, in some way, as much as coming out is a personal decision and it's private and it's individual and someone should have complete and utter control over the process that, that they go about doing that, you know, there's also this, like, huge sense of responsibility as well mm-hmm. um, whenever you are the first. And to do that is so much of a benefit for the LGBTIQ plus community at large that... It's anything but selfish, to be honest, and it's anything but attention-seeking. It's it's selfless, actually, to to draw that much attention to yourself in order to say, we are here and we're proud and we're not going to live in the shadows anymore. Um, I think it's so powerful. It's quite cliche to say it, but it's so brave because, mm. like you say, the, the media coverage, you know, I'm... I'm part of the media. I try and do what I can to change things, but it's so negative so much of the time. And that influences, you know, society in general's views on the LGBTQ plus community. You basically, for me, you summed it up pretty early on. Why would you want to put yourself in that spotlight? Because it's only ever going to be negative. I've talked to so many people in sport from the LGBTQ plus community. You'll be the same, Siri. And everybody just talks about wanting to be quote-unquote normal wanting to stay away from the spotlight but we're forced into it you know it it has to be done because it's so unusual to see that even if you don't want to get that attention it's just naturally put on you so this isn't anything people are doing by choice I think a lot of the time it's just oh they're different they're getting singled out whether that's good or bad some of the time which yeah for people to try and claim this is why you're doing it is, is just complete nonsense. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, having these conversations in themselves can be sometimes problematic as well. So, and the, the big kind of spotlight, as you say, that's put on coming out at a professional level in the men's game. And of course, the irony is that as the, the, the debate around this has built, that what should be a, a personal moment of coming out for, for one player will be scrutinised as a huge social and cultural event um, in the UK. And, and the enormity of that and the pressure that goes with it is in itself likely to be a barrier as well. 
Um, so, you know, we're, we're almost kind of perpetuating it by talking about it in the first place, but also, you know, as I, I guess as long as those discussions create awareness and they, they maybe, you know, force someone to kind of question their behaviour or, um, you know, question why they want to put who cares beneath the common and, you know, things like that. I think that, you know, it's always going to be a positive to, to talk about it. But um, I think that some ways, the way that some news outlets put a spotlight on it is very unhealthy. Whereas yeah. I think having these kind of awareness raising conversations is, is a good thing to do, of course. Yeah, I think what you're alluding to there is when we see the silhouettes on the front pages of national newspapers sure. saying this player is about to come out or the mm. mental anguish of preparing to come out and then they never actually do. That just perpetuates mm. that stereotype does, time yeah. and time and time again. It does, yeah. um, that actually leads quite nicely into these last couple, which I think I'm going to group together because we've touched on them before. Why is this news and why do people need to come out? We have sort of danced around them a little bit already, especially the why is this news? Um, but I mean, I suppose, why do people need to come out? You could take that as a bigger thing, even past sport. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's news because we don't have white male players at a professional level. Like that's as simple as it gets, you know, that's why it's making the, the front pages and why it's been focused on um, because anything that's the first ever is going to be news. And what was the, the second one, sorry? Why do people need to come out? Which, like I say, I suppose could be a, a bigger thing than just yeah. in sport. Yeah, yeah. Um, Normalisation of having an LGBTIQ plus identity. Um, and and we've talked about, you know, role models. Um, I think it also forces people to, to kind of question their behaviour and their perceptions as well whenever they know that there's a presence of someone from the LGBTIQ plus community around them that they're one of their own you kind of get this tribalness in football too and you know to an Adelaide FC fan might have been calling someone a poof the week before and start to question actually you know oh like one of my favourite players is gay, like maybe I shouldn't be using this sort of language. Um, you, know, you know, you never know. I'm not saying that's, that definitely happens, Adelaide, but um, it's just important for so many small and big reasons. Um, you know, for, for young people, now moving forward, they're going to see that it's possible to be gay and a footballer for fans it doesn't necessarily need to be a playing thing it can be a refereeing thing it can be a fandom thing and what we tend to see when there's an lgbt fans group created is that people start to to feel more comfortable going to the stadiums on saturdays and so on as opposed to watch games at home on their sofa and you know you can see people more effectively become part of those footballing communities because there's representation there um, and there's this kind of guarantee that there's a safe space because actually other people are there um, and other people are going along on Saturdays and, oh, yeah, maybe there's not as much homophobia as I might have feared if, if this group exists um, in the first place. So it's really important for, as I said before, those kind of perceptions of barriers uh, and removing those, I think. Absolutely. Very well said. I think it must be said 
I was looking through Scottish Premiership and English Premier League clubs tweeting about Josh Cavallo, and I don't know if they'd just gotten rid of a lot of the negative stuff, but it was quite overwhelmingly positive, mm. most of the side. Um, so those are the ones that I came up with. Is there anything else I, I've missed that you think would, would be important to touch on? There's still kind of people who will say it's disgusting and stuff like that, and that's just like a really apparent kind of homophobia that I don't really know if it needs to be addressed or not in, in our discussions here. But it's a fair point because I've tried to steer it towards the the sort of questions that people might have or the maybe the things that might not immediately come across as being homophobic. Obviously, there's outright abuse yeah. <laughs> that gets put yeah. on there at some time. Right. So it's absolutely yeah. a fair point. And I, th- I think as well, you know, so many people will say homophobia doesn't exist in football anymore. And actually pointing out that we are still seeing some of those comments um on posts and things uh, i think social media is this kind of safety arena for for a lot of people to just be as abusive as they want to be and hide behind their keyboard so people still do have those that inherent kind of hate within them um i think it's it's important to know that that still exists um but also that we're working with like more subtle forms of homophobia um and heteronormativity and stereotypes and you know those sort of things are are where we're at as a society in the UK really at the minute but but still we do have that kind of you know 1950s style homophobia happening too unfortunately so but that is of course why things like Leap Sport Scotland exists and the football versus homophobia Mm -hmm. campaign exists in the first place so sorry I asked you what they were all about at the start. How can people follow the work that likes of Leap and FVH are doing? Um, very good question. So we are on, uh, Leap Sports is on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter and Football versus Homophobia uh, Scotland. You can follow on Twitter and Facebook. Um, that's FVH Scotland tag on, on Twitter. Um, and also the the wider um, football versus homophobia campaign as well. You can follow on all those major platforms too. And you can go to our <laughs> website at org too. Lovely. It's going to be a busy couple of weeks, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I probably should have mentioned as well at some point is that, you know, we're having these conversations about the men's professional game and actually, there's probably a lot of learning that we can take from the women's game, too, where we're seeing a lot of representations of diverse sexual orientations. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of learning to do there. And also, we do see out gay, bisexual men in the grassroots game as well. And we're seeing the creation of some really inclusive spaces there, too. So it's not all negative, for sure. Um, but there is definitely this kind of societal and cultural hurdle of, of being the, the first out male professional player in the, the UK pro leagues. Well, that was a nice positive note to end on. Cannot thank Siri enough for taking the time out to come and chat with me. Like she said, you can follow Leap Sports Scotland and Football versus Homophobia, both the main campaign and the specifically Scottish pages on all of those social medias and they do do a lot of phenomenal work with creating 
grassroots clubs, inclusive clubs, uh, starting to see maybe one or two beginning to pop up in the Highlands as well. So we're even feeling their effects up here too. And there was a lot of things that Siri said there that I could potentially pick up on. Um, she talked about fan groups there, and I know there have been talks over the last couple of years to create one at Inverness Caledonian Thistle, uh, talking about the need for grassroots representation just as much as we need it in the professional game. The idea of role models, of you know, changing perceptions, maybe putting that doubt in someone's mind, and also, as we touched on, media representation. That's part of the reason that we're doing this podcast this week to, like I said at the very start, shine a spotlight on it. Um, thanks again to Siri for coming on. I cannot stress enough just how appreciative I am of her taking the time to do that. But I think it's time we moved on to the second part of this podcast, which is going to be an interview with Ross County Manager Malky Mackay. Now, Malky Mackay has you know a huge amount of experience in football, which is obviously the, the main topic of my conversation with Siri. He has played at loads of different levels of the game, all the way from amateur up to representing his country. He's also been involved as a coach, as a manager, as the Scottish FA's performance director, where he worked with up-and-coming players and coaches. Uh, He has a lot of different insight into where football is at, basically, when it comes to things like the Rainbow Laces campaign. So I managed to sit down with him Uh, just last week after the usual press conference to have this conversation with him. Again, huge thanks to Malky for doing this. Here is what he had to say, starting off with quite a simple one. Why the Rainbow Laces campaign is important. The inclusivity part of football from four or five years old right through to bizarrely walking football that the Scottish FA put in for the the 17 year olds that have actually watched and witnessed and saw how, how great it is, um, is is an incredible thing mm-hmm. I think um, I've, got, I've got a real uh, I've had a real good handle on it over the last four years at the Scottish FA when you look at um, and a pride at, at Scottish Scottish FA and what they do for Scottish football um, not Scottish football the country mm-hmm. because when, when I look at the inclusivity it's, it, it really makes you smile. Um, the, the Scottish FA's McDonald Awards that are on every year. It's a fabulous event, um, and, and it's a bit, it reminded me a bit like the the one in London you see um, Pride of Britain Awards. Sure. It put me in mind of that. The people that come up on stage and said, without uh, the ability for the Scottish FA and McDonald's, because McDonald's put money in it. Without the ability there, I'm not sure where I'd be in life right now, and I'm not kidding you, it, it, it breaks your heart. And I think when you look at everything in terms of uh, the, the the amount of people that have got access um, and have got the comfort to be able to go and play football now without being judged, without having any, um, any stigma attached to them, gives you pride in football in the country. And it, and, um, it is important, you know. The, I was actually the last couple of days. I was I was looking at the, the young lad from Adelaide, was it Cavell, Josh Cavell. Cavell. Yeah. I mean, and I, I know he's he's done the he's done the cut about five times before he can get to what he wants to say. That, that's it's it's kind of that's you swallow watching that because you think God might want my speaking through. He's, he's to actually ready to do this. But I think again, you've got where we are with society at the moment as there's there's. And interestingly, his age as well. 
because I think again you find um, the youth are quite happy. They're quite happy to just and and they're out. I see quite happy. It was tough for them, but I think the youth embrace it mm -hmm. very quickly and very easily. And I think what you've got is now that maybe he's the first. Well, he is, but obviously Hitzelsberger was finished when he when yeah. had done it. And he's the first top flight top player. flight player because yeah. I think the American boy was kind of finishing as well, wasn't he? Um, Robbie Rogers had retired and then came back and played in the MLS. Aye, so and you got Colin Martin in the second tier of America as well. Talking about you know and. and does it give people the ability to then just say, right, I've got comfort to be able to do this? Yeah. Um, and it, and it, it, it should be in the modern society because, again, um, I, I look at the power of what football can do in, in the world and it can change things. Um, you know, I, I think, early on we were talking about things and I think when you think of what the World Cup and the European Championships do for Scotland in terms of getting behind a nation, there's very few things in Scotland that can do that. I think like, a Commonwealth Games coming brings everybody together. Um, you know, very few things can bring a nation together the way that sport does. And I think when it does that, that the the, the inclusivity of everyone makes a huge, huge difference. It allows people just to, to be themselves. Um, and as I say, I think with it, certainly over the last period watching uh, and seeing all the different aspects of Scottish life where um, the women's games come to the fore massively um, uh, and, and the ability for the, the confidence in people to actually say I'm me and I want to be involved as well um, makes a big big difference and I think you, you, the fact that there's more and more large organisations backing it uh, of governing bodies backing quickly um, massively on it as well um, and it gets to the point where uh, I suppose it doesn't have to be a campaign eventually mm. it can just be part of life because I don't think when you look at uh, how far the women's games come from having had to battle just for even acceptance then I, I think when you look at it as I say I think anybody should be able to go and play their sport and it doesn't matter, you know, about, about you know, your own sexuality, your own beliefs, whatever it may be, you'd be able to everybody just play football together. For me, I think one of the most inspiring things about Josh Cavallo is the, the response that yeah. we saw around the world, you know, players all over, clubs all over, I think they'll put something out from the Ross County account as well. Yeah. You'll have a better idea than, than I will of what things are like at the FA, you know, are those support structures in place from, from the top down? It's it's um, it's funny because when you a governing body, by the nature of it, um, is at times seen as a big bad wolf, and and um, because they are the governing body and they've got to put rules and laws and regulations and stuff like that, and they've got to um, make sure they're, they're adhered to, um, and they're not the most popular people. See when you work inside the building, mm -hmm. and and I work up the sixth floor in, at Hamden or at Orium, and you you work with people every day, and you work in various departments every day with people who are genuinely just normal people like you and me who actually go to work every day, and jump up and down when Scotland win the game, and 
are proud of their own little bit of how they're helping Scottish football. That's what I see as, as people in there that are trying to make a massive difference. And, it, and it, there's obviously the the performance end, the elite end of, of the game, which was the bit I was involved in. But all the other areas, so the grassroots, the diversity and equality, the midnight leagues for the homeless, um, the the area for the disabled, sports in the country, um, the grassroots for the, the Pride of Bread Awards, the kind of McDonald's part of that. Um, th these are areas that are, that flood through Scotland, and they get they get that much coverage, yeah. and that's okay. That's that's fine. They get that much coverage, but they do that amount of work for the good of people, um, and there is a there is a, a massive shift over the last few years um, because it's it's it is coming through, and and you know I work with UEFA and FIFA as well. So, you know, these two monster bodies who have got huge financial backing um, are now incredibly transparent to them because of what's happened in the last, you know, few years otherwise. So they're very transparent organisations. And at the moment they're emptying the bank accounts mm -hmm. and throwing it out to 211 countries worldwide and UEFA to 55 countries. So UEFA's are going to 211 countries, they're throwing it out to them. And it's for, it's for what are the the areas that are that are uh, worldwide issues right now. What are the areas? So they're not throwing it out there, go and give that to Man United and give that to Celtic and Rangers. They're throwing it out there and give that so that there is inclusive inclusivity to, to the world to play football. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually seeing that right now. And there are so the the bodies are actually saying, okay, now we want work ways of working, procedures, uh, risk registers. Um, and people in post and actually demanding from organisations to put a person in post and that person, that's, the, that's their department stroke job to look after, whatever it may be. So I, I actually am seeing it. It is, it is happening, but it, it's only just happening. It's only happened in the last couple of years. Um, but there, there is definitely a shift mm -hmm. um, at the very top. Um, and I think, like anything, you're getting more and more people now who are moving into positions of power, who are actually got broader minds, yeah. and who are actually wanting to affect change um, and help everybody and anybody. Because it, 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 it's it is interesting. You, you know, I'm, I'm kind of helping, uh, involved in a strategy at FIFA at the moment, concerning the 211 countries, right? And and the areas of the world that they, uh, not the areas of the world, the areas in the world, that they, or in the world of football that they want to help um, fund. And it, it really is going to shift things in the country, in the, in the world at the It's going to shift things because um, they just want, they want football for all. They want football um, that makes sure that everybody and anybody has got no stigma attached to anything at all and, and there are funds available to allow football to run in those areas transparently and in the safe areas, you know, talking about safe areas, it's a safe environment to be able to go and train and play without fear of anything. Mm -hmm. I think we can get too hung up at times on when a player will come out yeah. in the UK, but I, I kind of feel like I have to ask the question anyway, that if somebody did come out, say yeah. tomorrow, next week mm -hmm. in Scotland, by the sense that you're quite confident 
there wouldn't be an issue. I genuinely don't. I, I mean, I don't think it'll be a, a a Bosman moment, if you know what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. Whereas Bosman changed everything, but was you know didn't help him win bit. Sure. I don't think that's the case anymore. I, I think it's I think society's changed again, um, uh, and I think the power of social media has made a big difference to that in terms of the, the, the amount of people that are able to quickly back somebody mm. and then all of a sudden there's a relaxation of how they feel. Maybe I'm talking nonsense, but that's how I think. Sure. And I think if, if and when that does come, because it will, it'll be a point. Um, I'm sure that person will not hope. They, they'll, they've got a career, but they want to be judged on their career. Um, they'll probably hope that, that they don't, it doesn't get rolled away because they're the first person. Um, but I would hope that Josh then just goes into next week's game and becomes a top player yeah. and, and doesn't um, sink under the weight of, of what's happened. Um, but no, I, I, I think that, you know, as and when the time comes, then I think you've got... A, I think our country will embrace that as much as anyone. I'm not going to ask you to, to name names or identify anybody, but in your whole time in football, <laughs> have you ever come across somebody, probably more specifically in the men's game, that would identify as LGBT that you're aware of? Um, n- never anyone that said anything to me, that, but um, well, that's, that's not to say that, that's not to say that that's, that they're not. So no. I suppose, no, I, I can honestly say no. That, that it, there's, I've not been somewhere where um, we've all kept a secret and they've asked us to keep something a secret. Mm. I've not been at that. But when you look at the stats of footballers, there's no way there's not. No. Um, you know, I, I suppose I've, I've, I'm involved with the Scottish national women's team mm. and there, there are... Uh, openly yeah. gay girls that are there that I know well. So again, that just became part of what we were we were you know we were involved with the with the, with the women's teams. Um, so I, that's a, that you've thrown me there with that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, so no, no, and, then, no. and that's it. No, no. But I, I guess that just shows the change that that you were talking about has happened over the last few years. That for so long people haven't felt able yeah. to say anything, but now you're pretty confident. I, but I, I think. I think generally youth. You want to look at COP twenty six. I generally think youth. I generally think youth now feel that they can say anything mm. in terms of being able to being able to say, give their opinion. Yeah. Um, which is great, you know. And then debate can happen, but there's a comfortableness among youth to be able to have an opinion, and some of those can change the world. Mm-hmm for the better, hopefully. So I don't think that, um, you know, as I say, you've just said it yourself, and Josh actually, how hard it was for him during that interview when he kept swallowing and he just like, and eventually says, but then the outpouring in his favour, I genuinely think that the youth of today will, will show that and mm-hmm. show that affection. So I don't think, you know, I, when that, whatever person does come out and, and actually because it, it will be a big thing. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, regularly the, um, the the head of the Premier League 
or the, the chairman of the FA, um, you know, is is asked, A, what you're doing about it, but B, what will happen when this happens? Um, and statistics show that there has to be people there that just haven't yet decided to do that. But I don't think we're long away from it coming because, as I say, I think there'll be there'll be such a protection, mm. which is great, um, both, as I say, government-wise, but also from community. Yeah, and dressing room as well. I, 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 I genuinely, see dressing rooms, dressing rooms are, are uh, invariably over the years, dressing rooms are good places to be in terms of in football with, with camaraderie. Mm. Um, and it's the first thing when people retire, six months later, nine months later, they might not, they don't miss going out there in the December morning in a howling gale and running about hard, but they miss the dressing room. Yeah. And um, especially if you've got a, if you've got a, generally a good one, I think, as I say, I'm, I'm very proud that I've got a group of boys here that are, that are tight in that dressing room and they have a laugh and a joke and they're good people. And dressing rooms look after each other. And certainly even in this day more than ever, you know, I think days gone by, long gone. It was a, it was a, uh, a very tough environment, and at times, you know, we were done bullying a long time ago. But life's changed a lot, and mm-hmm. I think that um, now, um, number one, I think I said this to you a few weeks ago. I think. Um, I think emotional intelligence has to come into it more and more with the coaches. Yeah. The you know the days of the draconian coach uh, are long gone because they're not going to get the best out of players these days because if they go down the route they do, all they do is they, they, people's confidence go to that. And I think nowadays you find more and more um, young coaches and managers spreading their wings and looking to business, or sports, you know, whatever it may be to actually find ways of, of leading and how you help people and how people motivate. Yeah. And I think that that is absolutely coming into football. I think more and more you find um, football coaches and managers, you've got to get a, there's a different way of, you've got to, got to how do you get the best out of people? And, and most of the time now, you very rarely have, have find a, a business leader now or a top sports leader now saying, yeah, just just by being a tyrant, <laughs> long gone. Yeah. Um, so, getting back to what we're talking about really, I think, <laughs> if you know what I mean, I think now you've got a, a much more sensitive mm-hmm. uh, area and you've got people that are actually um, pulling for each other all the time. I mean, you know, obviously you get beat and you're disappointed. There's a way of doing it. Yeah. And um, they've got to see my belief in them. And 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 I've got to show it sometimes to them. Um, obviously what we do, but also what we say to them. We show how proud I am of them as a team when they put on the jersey and they work hard out there, whether they win or lose. Um, so I think that's where that, we talk about that safe space. Um, and honestly, if it was here, that would be the best dressing in the world for it because they're a good group of people that would look after and protect. I'm not sure you have to protect too much from too many. Sure. But no, but I think you will. Yeah. I think you might have touched on this before, but you mentioned coaches there. You know, 
when coaches are going through their badges and their licences, is stuff like LGBT plus inclusion part of that course? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just. Uh, funny, I was part. I was lucky enough to to be involved in the pro licence, looking after the Scottish pro licence, um, and the whole um, the whole inclusivity part is actually part of the course. Right, okay. Definitely part of the course, and and um, and it, it all comes back to the having the softer skills as a coach to be able to recognise mm. uh, as a player struggling, why they're struggling. You know what you seen that you seen something there is, and, and being able to actually have have the ability to deal with it, have the ability to say, right, I've either got to go and have a chat, and, and is there a help or a support mechanism we can give here mm-hmm. for whatever reason we're going to find out, or do I have someone? Do I know someone? Is there someone that we can get in that's going to do this? How in the first place do we find out? Is there something up? Um, I'm not seeing you, you're not a chirp, but you're not as lively as you used to be, or you were, or I'm seeing you at training, not doing, and it's part of the actual role itself, it's bizarre, but as is, is, is being a, a Samaritan at mm. times, because the door is chapped in an afternoon, and a player comes in and says, I need to talk to you, anything, yeah. I, I swear to God, anything, and it has. Um, it's happened here. Uh, it's happened um, at three other clubs that have been the manager. And there are times where your jaw drops. It doesn't because you can't. But they're coming to see you. And to a couple of them, when they come and see you, uh, you're the only person that I've spoken to. And at that point, you're like, right, if this person's felt the need to yeah. come and speak to me. Right, so I need number one in your head. You're going. I'm not equipped. But number two, they've come to me. So what, what are you going to do about it? You need to do something about it to try and help. How are we going to do that here? Um, so part of the actual program and the, the, the qualification part of the skill is actually having been able to be that person. Mm-hmm. So you know, pro license is very unlike going out on the grass a lot. Sure. It's mostly all about dealing with how to be a, a football manager and all these things that are going to be thrown up other than the grass. Grass is a, a licence really. Pro licence is about everything else to do with leadership and being a manager and having to deal with things um, and how you would deal with situations and, you know, with boards, um, with press, with fans, um, with your staff, mm-hmm. with players. Because you've got all these um, stakeholders that are... that. that uh, you've got to interact with and you've got questions and answers and you've got to have all of them at once right away but that's what we you, and it's what I said is because what we tried to do was uh, we tried to have a kind of uh, a couple of things beyond the pro licence to actually have them in again because you get your licences as a coach it's like getting your driving license, right? Right, and then they're like, right, off you trot out into the world, and a year later the guy's in a job, and out a job, and a year later, and and seventy percent of first time managers that are out in a year never get a job again, right? right? Okay. So you've got a situation where you're going, you've pushed a learner driver, and then within a year he's gone and sat in a Formula One car, and they've put him into a Formula One race and he's crashed, and you're wondering why? Because you never built the man into a 
a, a manager that could be involved in all of these things that are coming at him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'd one that, that ended up halfway through the course, walking off the course because the job was getting too much for him. Um, so, part of the, the actual course, we, we, we kind of, myself and Andy Gould, uh, Scottish FA and Greg Patterson, looked at it and thought, right, what are all the, the areas and softer skills, all the things that are needed to actually another put another uh, quiver, you know, another arrow in your quiver and just get it so that you've got so much to be able to deal with this. Um, so that softer skill side of actually recognising has someone got a, an issue? Yeah. Um, and what might that be? And if it is, are they coming to beef about it? Or how do I approach it? And how can we deal with this? So that's going to come up. That's going to come up. Uh, you know, it's going to come up with, with LGBT. It's, it's come up with lots of things. Yeah. Um, you know, none of the cases that I was involved in was that. But, I mean, there was some deep stuff that I was involved with um, that, that you're thinking, right, I need help here. I need help, I need serious professional help here to help this person. And we need to go and get serious professional help to get to help the person. Mm-hmm. I don't see it being any different in terms of actually someone eventually chat with door one day. I need to come and see you. And I think players will be in a more comfortable space now to do it. Yeah. Because I think you're seeing a lot more managers who are broad-minded. It was really great just to sit down with Malky there and talk about all these different things and get an insight into what the coaching badges actually entail, what it's like inside the dressing room, uh, his experiences with the FA and, and working across a load of different departments. You know, There's a lot of different things we covered there. So hopefully you were able to take something from that. Again, I have to thank Malky McKay so much for taking the time to sit down and chat to me about Rainbow Laces. He didn't have to do that, but he did take the time out of his day after we would normally have had him for press to sit and chat with me for an extra wee while about this. So again, thank you to Ross County and Malky McKay for that. I hope people were able to take something from the chats with Siri and with Malky. Uh, To be honest, both of those conversations went on a little bit longer than I had expected them to, but I thought it was worth putting it all in because there were some really interesting tidbits and really interesting points of view in there. Um, The reason I say that is because I had originally intended to do even more on Rainbow Laces this week in the podcast. There's a load of stuff going on in rugby as well, which we really haven't even had the chance to touch on. But I think what I'm going to do... Um, is in future weeks we'll maybe just drop in a little clip or a single interview on Rainbow Laces for the next couple of weeks while the campaign is ongoing just to top up some of the extra stuff that we don't really have time for unfortunately in this episode and of course if you buy a paper if you buy something like the Inverness Courier or the Rosher Journal you'll probably be seeing bits and pieces of it in print before it actually ends up on a podcast so that's an extra incentive for you to go and do that but like I say this is already approaching an hour so i'm going to call this one a day thank you all so much for listening uh rainbow aces and lgbtiq plus inclusion in sport is something that's close to my heart as anybody that follows me on twitter will know so um i really wanted to to make a point of doing this episode and hopefully you all enjoyed it uh we'll be back to somewhat 
closer to a normal episode next week, running down what's been going on. It's still going to be just me because sports editor Will Clark is still off on annual leave for another week. So you have that to look forward to. You know, that'll be something. But for the time being, I'll do the regular wrap-up saying that if you want to get in touch with Balls and Whistles, you can do on Twitter at Balls underscore Whistles, or you can email ballsandwhistles at hnmedia.co.uk. Both of those are always in the description of our episode, so you don't have to worry about rewinding me and playing it again to make sure you write it down properly. You can just copy and paste it from wherever you're listening to. And I think that pretty much wraps us up for this week. So have a good one, everybody. We'll see you next time. And thank you so much once again for listening. <laughs>